Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250, giving our own thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and Dean, I will never be accepting any sort of dark liquid in a bottle from you ever again. I'm glad you said again. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and as a father, this movie scared the shit out of me. And today we're going to be breaking down the Denis Villeneuve film, Prisoners. Dean, it's good to see you again, mate, after a week off. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Hendo. Yeah, Happy New Year. past Christmas. Get with the times. We're up to the Happy New Year. I got Merry Christmas today, though, which annoyed me. Like, I think once you hit, I mean, Boxing Day is acceptable. 12.01 Boxing Day? Uh, Boxing Day, you can still Merry Christmas, people. But the day after Boxing Day, let it go. Just let it go. Working in retail, you have no idea how quickly you dispense of all the Christmas stuff, like the day after Christmas. We've still got decorations up. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It's I done. Saw, I actually, actually looked at them this morning. I was like, probably should take them down. Yeah, you definitely should. But yeah. But how was your Christmas, mate? Good. Uh, we travelled a couple hours to some sh- shitty little town. Uh, it was fine, though. Caught up with family. It was really nice. It was actually, I would say, one of the better Christmases I've had yeah. in recent memory, which was good. Kids were great. Everyone had a blast, etc., etc. How was your Christmas? Well, the couple of days leading up to Christmas, our entire family was sick. We were out of commission. It was just this entire bug that had cleaned out the house. Uh, we and your bowels. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to be vague here, okay? <laughs> Don't deny it. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, super vague, but I did lose five kilos in those couple of days. Nice. So, yeah. Props to you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. But we were good. <laughs> all that hard work paying off. <laughs> <laughs> we were good to go, though, starting on the Christmas day. We're all healthy again. Ah. Yeah, healthy. That's the word. So, we went and saw my family and we went and saw Kira's family. So, you did the two things in yeah, one Yeah, but day. they live really close together. So, it wasn't like a three-hour trip. It was more of a 20-minute trip for us. I don't want to do two families in one day. It is. It's rough to do yeah, that. I don't like it. So, But the fact they're so close together, it wasn't that big of a deal. I had multiple like family gatherings. Yeah, not good. No, that's better. Like spread out, like one oh, on the weekend before Christmas, yeah, yeah, yeah. one Christmas yeah, day, that, that, one on the perfect. weekend after, that after Christmas. Like, that's how you got to do it. It's yeah. much more relaxed. That would be perfect. But I think we did discuss it. We'll probably do Christmas next year so we don't have to go anywhere. Mm. They can come to us. Yes. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah. Enough of that though, Hendo. What are we doing today? Well, after all the clip shows and flashbacks we've been doing, it's time to get back to our regular scheduled programming. Dean, how about it? We've got our breakdown of prisoners. We've got some listener reviews for the film. We've got our question of the week, which is courtesy of our awesome patron, Mr. Chris Beardsall. Who is your most outstanding breakout director of this decade? Yeah, and that was an experience coming up with that list as well. So lots of good stuff to get into. You're also going to find out the results of the final four of the best 2000s film tournament. I'm going to have a quick discussion about a couple of new trailers I've seen. And it is Dean's turn, finally, to choose that film he's been desperate to choose for the last couple of months. Is it the same film you're going to be choosing, or have you changed your mind? No, I'm I'm pretty happy with what I'm choosing. I can't wait. I've been holding my breath for two months. (laughs) But let's not muck about anymore, mate. Let's do it. Give me the update. All right, I know it's been a while. What's going on on the IMDb Top 250 list? Let's take a look at Joker. First off, it has dropped five spots to 25. That's pretty solid. How long has it been? Has it been three weeks? No, it's been like a week and a half. Gee, a week and a half and it's dropped five spots. That's pretty bad. What about Parasite, my friend? What about it? We have two days left of the year at the Uh, time of this recording. This will decide it. It's gone up. Okay. To 30. From 32. No. No. Not happening. Do you want the movie now, Hendo? No. You can tell me next time. Soft. A film that's actually gone up, though, is this year's film, Claws, Klaus, whatever the hell it is. (laughs) (laughs) Klaus. You're on the Klaus train. Oh, yeah. We had this conversation last week. Or last, I'm the last pretty sure two I was weeks. joking. Was 
It's gone up 14 spots to 177. Okay. Couple, I don't want to watch it. Oh, it's past Christmas now, but it's on the list. We'll have to watch it eventually. A couple of other films that have gone up three spots is Logan to 214, The Grand Budapest Hotel to 193, The Truman Show to 180, and Today's Breakdown, Prisoners, has gone up to 198 on the list. But let's look at some negatives, Dean. Drisham has gone down 49 spots to 229. Marriage Story has dropped 16 spots to 161. And The Irishman. Out. No. May as well be, though. Down 25 more spots to 203. Ooh. Yeah. So. Looking forward to picking that. I don't think you're going <laughs> to. All right, before we get into our full-on breakdown of Prisoners, just a quick heads up, we will be spoiling this film from the get-go, so if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, this is the time to get out. And with that being said, let's get into Prisoners. Where are your sisters? I can't find them. Anna? Joy? Wait, I checked the entire house. They're not here. Dad, there was this RV, and they were playing on it. There was, then we thought there was someone inside. You wait here. Let me go. I couldn't find them. Detective Loki. Do you have children, detective? I'm going to find your daughter. So, Prisoners is a 2013 American thriller film directed by Denis Villeneuve with a screenplay written by Aaron Guzikowski. The film has an ensemble cast including Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Viola Davis, Viola Davis, that makes sense, Maria Bello, Terence Howard, Melissa Leo, and Paul Dano. It is Villeneuve's first English language feature film. And what a film. Have you seen his previous film, Insondies? You know I have. I know. I love Insondies. How good is Insondies? It's great. (laughs) That's right. Music by Johan Johansson, who did other classic scores as Arrival and Mandy as well. He was nominated Ugh. He was nominated twice for Sicario and The Theory of Everything. Okay, so he's got some talent. He has got some talent. So does this guy. Cinematography by Roger Deakins. You do love talking about Roger Deakins. Well, he deserves it every single time. He did get nominated for this film. This was the only nomination for this film at that, that year's Academy Awards. It actually lost to Emmanuel Lubezki for Gravity. I mean, he was no chance, was he? No, he wasn't. Let's look at casting Dean. Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale were set to star in this film with Brian Singer directing it. What do you think of that? Ugh. I mean, Christian Bale obviously could be great in everything. Mark Wahlberg, which one would he be? Would he be the cop? He'd probably be the dad wouldn't he no i could see bale as the as the dad maybe yeah i could see Wahlberg as the cop over bale as the cop i don't know obviously was this when was the fighter yeah this is what they chose they chose to do the fighter instead so they just really wanted to work together yeah okay marky mark wanted to work with christian bale yeah and and bale's like like, yeah whatever whatever yeah ryan gosling auditioned for the role of detective loki as well but since Jake Gyllenhaal and Denis Villeneuve had such a great time doing Enemy, which was released the same year, that he decided to cast him for the movie without any audition whatsoever. So Enemy was his first made English-speaking film. No, this came out before Enemy, but Enemy was done. Enemy, Enemy was made prior to Prisoners. So like, the question I just asked was: Enemy was the first made English-speaking film? Yes. No, because this first one was- made, second released. Yeah, okay, whatever. The first time this film was actually submitted to the MPAA, it did receive an NC-17 rating due to its tone and its subject matter. The film's torture scenes were later cut down by a couple of frames, along with some scenes suggesting uh, pedophilia, and then it got an R rating after they cut all that out. Suggesting pedophilia? Yeah. Would that be with Dano? I mean, it would have to be maybe with Melissa Leo? I'm not sure. It must be with Dano. They would have maybe they just talked about it. Like, yeah, and then adding in those torture scenes and that really amped up that NC17. Mm. Oh yeah, like it, yeah. it's obviously mainly the torture stuff. 
Yeah, that that torture stuff is uh, it's a bit rough. I mean, not really. As far you, as you torture scenes go. It's fine just having boiling hot, scalding water spraying down on you and you can't get out of yeah, it. Yeah, but it's not graphic. Like I don't It doesn't w- have to be graphic though. Like it's the it's the the mental yeah, image. It's, it's tense and all that, but it's not a hard watch, the 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 torture scenes. Oh, I disagree. I was, you know, very oh, queasy well, and compare it to uh Snowtown, for example. Okay. I barely remember that film now. It's hard to watch those scenes. Whereas this it's like, yeah, they're good scenes. They're great scenes. Don't get me wrong, but they're not hard to watch. And I'm not complaining. I'm not saying it's a lot. like of- you are. No, no, no. I'm really not. I just, you're taking it the wrong way. It's just, yeah, they're, they're not that violent. They don't have to be violent to be, you know, offsetting and hard to watch. Hmm. Anyway, this one was released on the 12th of September in 2013 with a runtime of 153 minutes. Fucking long movie. According to screenwriter Aaron Grzykowski, the original cut was over three hours. Yeah, I mean, how many times do we hear, oh, the original cut was... What does that even mean? Have they just not edited it at all? <laughs> no, it means the original screenplay that they had, what they were going to work with, was three hours and they've probably gone, okay, this is too long, let's cut out the things that mm. we can cut out of this film to make it more appeasing to, uh, you know... Most a, people. A, an audience that... Can't sit through three-hour films, apparently. Unless your name is Martin Scorsese. That's right. But this has a tagline of a hidden truth, a desperate search. Yeah. That's a, I feel that's a bit generic. So generic. That's yeah. a generic one. This had a budget of $46 million. Who comes up with taglines? Have we talked about this? I'm sure we have. Like, if this was a Denis Villeneuve tagline, he'd do better. This must be marketing team. I reckon this would be marketing. It's all marketing, of course. Do you reckon directors have a say in the posters? I no, I think the producer producers would have more of a say in the posters. Do you reckon directors care about the poster at all? Oh, sure. Um, of course they would. It's their, it's like they've made this film. This is their craft. They want to have the best thing presenting it. Oh, I've never really given any thought to posters. Like, are they like renowned poster makers in the industry? I'm sure there is. Like, oh, you got that guy. Oh, good guess. I am sure there is. <laughs> we should get one on the podcast <laughs> if you can find one. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be clawing at the bit to come and talk to us. What do you reckon the highest paid poster maker would get per poster? A couple of hundred. Dollars? No. I reckon like a hundred grand for a big budget film. One hundred thousand dollars. For a big- Infinity War, right? Yeah, I'd say hundred. Hundred thousand dollars. No, maybe more because they have to make so many different posters, they make more. hundred grand. That's a lot. They're artists. It's their job. They're artists. (laughs) If, if it works well, maybe they get more. If it gets more butts in the seats, like, think of some memorable posters out there. I mean, Star Wars. Stop looking at the posters on my wall. He didn't get $100,000, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what did I say? Uh, $46 million budget, gross $61 million in America, and worldwide gross $122. Ah, wildly successful then. I wouldn't say wildly successful. It did I all mean, right. tripled its budget. It did know. all right. Yeah, I think Denis would be happy with that. Certainly wouldn't be his highest grossing film, though, would it? Maybe Blade we, Runner, Arrival. Oh, I think I think Arrival uh, definitely over Blade Runner. I don't think Blade Runner was that big of a success. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, yeah. that was disappointing, wasn't it? What the film or the the or the or the box office? Uh, the box office. Yeah. <laughs> What's his latest film? Was it Blade Runner? It was Blade Runner. I think he's doing Dune. Dune. Yeah. Right. I don't know anything about this Dune. That people I've, are going I've on seen about. the cover of the book. It's like a desert. Is it an you old film as well? Arabia, like, is, it, is it a remake? Well, I don't know. God. Yeah, why am I asking you questions about old I know more about trivia? Dune than you do. I, I can picture the book cover. I may have even owned that book. Didn't read it. It Ooh, looked really big boring. Big call. Big call. Owning a book. Well done. Have you ever owned a book, Endo, that wasn't for school? Or wasn't movie related? The big book of movie. Magazines don't count, Endo. <laughs> <laughs> I own many books. 
TV guide. <laughs> but let's take a look at the history of prisoners in the IMDb Top 250 list. This came into the list late 2013, obviously, when it uh, came out. That's Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Though. Uh, shot up to about 220-ish around early January and then about- oh, nothing to write home about. And then about midway through that year, dropped back out of the list. Ooh. Came back into the start of 2015 and has since had a you know, a slight increase ever so gradually over the last four or five years to where it currently sits now. Like I said before, number 198 on the list with an average of 8.1 over 546,000 ratings. It's pretty solidly in there at this point. Yeah, it's firm now. That's not going anywhere. I mean, it might, like in a few years, maybe. I don't know. Right now, I think it's, looking at this graph, it looks like it's very comfortable. I mean, how many films, like new films, enter the list each year? Take this year, for example. How many from this year? Off the top of your head, like, don't go looking at it. Four to five, maybe three. Joker, Parasite, Marriage Story, Irishman. Irishman. But then others have peaked in as well throughout the year, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was in there. Mm. Oh, there's that, there's Claws as well that's in at the moment, which is mm. going up. No, four feet Ferrari's in there at the moment still. And quite high. Yeah. So, yeah, probably about four. So, yeah, I guess. Okay. It's pretty good there. Yeah. But considering next week is your pick, Dean, I will do the plot summary for this one. When Callan Dover's daughter and her friend go missing, he takes matters into his own hands as the police pursue multiple leads and the pressure mounts. To the point. I'm just trying to think what the right way of saying pursue is. Because I feel like some people say it like- Pursue. Pursue. No, that's, that's, that's not right. Pursue. Yeah. Yeah, no, sounds good. Cool. All right, let's get into it. Start off with some buck hunting in the snow. They're doing a little uh, hymn, a prayer here. Hallowed be thy name as they- It's not a hymn. What is it? It's the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer. Sorry, I'm not a religious guy. The Lord's Prayer. The actual Lord's Prayer. Yes, the Lord's Prayer. It's very famous. Our art in heaven. Lead us not into temptation. What else is that from? I feel like you're saying it like it's from another movie. It's from church. Everything's movie related here. Except this. This is from church. It's also from this movie. Yeah, this was fine. I, uh, Hugh Jackman, you know, watching his son shoot a deer, like, oh, yes. Is that is that much more an American thing? Oh, or, absolutely. Yeah, but or does this happen often in Australia and we're just not in that crowd? No, it wouldn't because guns are so much more prevalent. Very good. It was, it, it was prevalent. prevalent. I was going to say something like prevalent, but it's prevalent. Hmm. Guns are much more prevalent. Now, are we? You know what I mean? Is this common? Yes. Really? Absolutely over in America. You have no idea. I guarantee you it is so much more popular and prevalent. I've I've never shot a gun. You're in Australia. Have you ever shot there's a gun? There's gun laws. There's there's no guns here. Oh, there's guns. Yeah, but you know what I mean? There's no, no one has guns in their household here. No one just goes around just like having a gun in their pocket like no big deal. I saw someone with a gun in their pocket once. Was, it, was it a policeman? No. Why didn't have a gun on him? Well, it's not like I asked him. <laughs> I just turned around and walked the other way. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> back the fuck up, mate. But it was just like loose in his back pocket of jeans. I was like, what the fuck? Sure it wasn't like a cap gun or something? It was a holster, mate. No, you can tell a real gun. Well, can you? I thought you'd never seen a gun before. I didn't say I'd never seen one before. I said I never fired a gun. I'll take your word for it. Mm. We're not going to play the tape. You, that's what you say when you know you've lost. Yeah, it's, mm. it's the safe answer. You could be wrong. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> if only there was a way we could find out. Mm. 
Yeah, but they're driving through town after their little buck hunting. Seems like a little small knit town here. Like everyone knows everyone and yeah, and we get everything's like a small walk away. And we get Hugh Jackman talking about family again and we get him talking about his grandfather and the most important thing his dad, his dad ever told him was be ready. And man, has he taken that and run with it. This Red is this. one of these, you know, take shelter style men who just- He's ready to go. He's like bomb shelters. That's another very American thing and in fairness though. You know, if if a country is going to get bombed, you know, America probably more likely than probably Australia. one of the higher percentages of yeah. uh, countries to get bombed. Yeah. And what is it for basically the next uh, 15 or minutes here? We just get a nice little friendly scene of Hugh Jackman and Maria Bello, I guess, going to their friend's house, Viola Davis and Terrence Howard. Yeah. And it's Great just, cast. Oi, yeah. oi, how good is this cast? Oh, the ensemble's fantastic. Viola Davis is in this. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, she's awesome. Yep. Terrence Howard. I like Terrence Howard. He's good in this film. I prefer sure. him as uh, War Machine than old Don Cheadle. Really? Yeah, After I'll- one performance? Yes. I like Terrence Howard. Hustle and Flow, of course. I don't think I've seen Hustle and Flow. It's good. What else do I know Terrence Howard from? Yeah, probably Roadie. After <laughs> all that, probably Roadie. I think he was in Empire, but I never saw that. I just know. I just Every time I see Empire, I just see Terrence Howard on the front. I'm like, hey, that's you, Terrence Howard. Hmm. I know your face. That is Terrence Howard. Can I just say something about this No. Film? I have seen this film before. Me too. I don't know when. I can't imagine it would have been when it came out. But I've seen it at some point and I have forgotten all of it. That is one of the most shocking things I've ever heard in my life that you, Mr. Dean Jeffrey, forgot everything about a film. Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I did remember. I remember obviously the kids get captured and Hugh Jackman tortures someone about it. You I- even forgot Paul Dano was in it? I forgot if Paul Dano was innocent or guilty. Nice. That's that's a good place to be. Do you know how great this viewing I of know, this film you was? You love to say. Do you know how great it is to not have a, a single memory cell in my in your entire brain? Do you know how great it is to watch a movie for the first time every multi- single multiple time? times? Hundred <laughs> percent of the time, I've forgotten it every single time. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I got a first time viewing this time. It was amazing. Do you ever consider your, like filming yourself every time you watch a film for first time reactions? No, because it's not like I'm overtly like, <gasps> what? <laughs> but I imagine if, t- if someone was filming me for my reactions, they would be something like that, though. <laughs> we should watch movies together more often. No, we shouldn't. That way I know what's happening. And you've, even though you've already seen it, you'd still just have that genuine reaction. I'm like, you knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so I just I just want to say, like, before we go into this, like, when these kids start, like, popping in and out of the house a bit, yeah. I'm just like, oh, God. And when, they're, when they go up to this caravan, how great is the shot from inside the caravan? Yeah. Look, yeah, looking out the back. Oh, it's so. You don't know what's going to happen. No. Like it's no, I didn't. Yeah, I knew that. I knew they got kidnapped, but I didn't know if it was here or if it was in like five minutes' time. Yep. Like I knew, I knew the ending to this. I know who was behind it all and all that I stuff. I didn't. Yeah, I knew what ha- I knew what happened with, with with Jackman and all that. So it was good to go. Obviously, go back and you know put the pieces back together. Like how they managed to get there. I knew, I knew that they got there in the end, but I forgot how they got there because I saw this film maybe two years ago. I must say I was very surprised at the length of this film going into it because I felt like, okay, the kids get kidnapped, Hugh Jackman tortures someone, it's resolved. How is this such a long film? Like what is in this film that actually keeps it going? There's a big bit in the middle where it's like almost a, a bait and switch with this other person as well. Mm. Like opens up all these little these trails, these crumbs, and yep. that's good because you don't know who it's actually it, – it, it, Throws you off the scent of the the real suspect. Yeah, like you never you never expect that it's her. No, I did not. 
jaw dropped. Did you think it was the other pedo bloke at any point, or was I that just such like a Dano. the whole time? Were you waiting I, for a confession? I I kind of just thought it was Dano. Interesting. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I, I personally love that it's not Dano because oh, I do too. Yeah, don't because because it makes what Hugh Jackman is doing so much more. Yeah, like morally ambiguous. Absolutely. That's what I was yeah, that's where I was going. If if it turns out that he was right, then it's like, well, what I did was perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. But if and he's you know wrong, what that? is what he did okay. That's the Yeah, question. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? If there's a chance it's this guy. Even if it's not, is it okay what Jackman does? And can you imagine like even after the fact when he finds out it wasn't him, he'd still be like, But I had to do what I had to do. Mm. Like considering what- the same thing as well, like once he finds out it's not him, it's like that would play on him. Like yeah, what have I done? Yeah. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Mm. He's having those questions asked. Lots of, of strong well. questions throughout this whole film. But yeah, when the kids get well, when they disappear, basically, they just you just don't see them again. That was uh that was a bit uncomfortable, I must say. You obviously know with two daughters yourself as well. It's not not a wouldn't not be a good feeling whatsoever. One of the worst feelings in the world. Yep. Even when I'm at the like the supermarket and I turn around and then they're not there, I'm like, holy shit. And they're just because I've gone around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, we have lost one before. Yes, you have. Yeah. What was that like? That was pretty scary. Yeah. To the point where, like, you know, I was on the phone to police and everything. Like, it was, it was, yeah, you just, because you think the worst. Yeah. You absolutely think the worst. And it's. Well, it's like what Hugh Jackman says in this. You you think the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's it's it really is uh, disarming. And then. <laughs> As well, like when obviously we go to back, you just you're so happy that they're back, but you need to be so angry with them, yes, so they know that what they've done is a big deal and you cannot do it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like I'm being very vague, but basically, one of um, my daughters walked out of the house one day, just walked out and went for a walk, and yep. they were what three maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was rough. Yeah, I can't imagine. Mm. Anyway. Back to prisoners. Yeah. We're introduced to Detective Loki as played by Jake Gyllenhaal, one of the great modern actors of our time. Looking very unique here with his slick back hair and his massive tat on his neck. Slick back hair. Did he have the slick back hair in Nightcrawler? I think he did. No, but he's more. He's definitely he's much more skinnier and slimier in yeah, that Yeah, but film. I feel like, you, you know, you bring up the hair. I feel like that slick hair is- No, but he, with that, I feel like like in this this uh, movie, he's definitely got the shaved side, so it's more like a, a statement, like a fashion statement. A this statement? Is, like he's trying to be like more of a tough guy. Where the, the other one, it's it's very slicked, oily, loose, long hair that he's got in Nightcrawler. Definitely oily. Yeah. I feel like slick is such an insult to call someone, but it's an insult you can get away with calling someone. Like, hey, what's going on? Hey, you're slick. Like, oh, I like your hair, slick. He's got a great stare, though. You know, the Jake Gyllenhaal stare. I felt like it was on point in this film. He's very good in this film as the, you know, the The straight guy. Yeah, basically, he's great. Yeah, like he. There's points where you feel like more towards the start, like he's he's just the cop here. He's got to do his job, but you can see him gradually get into what he's Mm. what he's what he's the you know solving this case basically. Like, and you can see the dedication he's going through, and you know the. The anger when he fails. It's great that he's able to, or he sees Alex as played by Paul Dano here. He sees him and he catches him. Yeah. And that goes down pretty easily. Like, yeah, Alex reverses a car into some trees. Idiot. I mean, idiot. Is that mean to say that? Like, what do they say? He's got like a mind of a 10-year-old or something? Pretty much, yeah. I have a nine-year-old and she's a lot smarter than this guy. I'll tell you right now. I think that's an insult to (laughs) 10-year-olds. 
right? Saying, oh, he's got a mind of a 10-year-old. You go talk to a 10-year-old. They're pretty smart. Yeah, they're pretty smart these days. Maybe, maybe what, this was uh, six years ago, so. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the population is uh, that much smarter. They haven't improved that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what is it? He's adopted by Melissa Leo's character, uh, Holly. Her name's Holly. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and we, and we find out that Holly's husband has died since then, and there's this whole you know, smoke and mirror here that this Alex is adopted from. Like, they adopted him, hmm. where we find out later on that they actually kidnapped him and kept him, basically. Yep. Yeah. I must say, the cinematography in this scene where the RV crashes into the trees and the lights are like the lights are shining throughout the bushes and that, it looks really good in this film. And it's, it's set up well for, like, this you know, really grim kind of place. Like, everything is really toned down. Feels like a film. Fincher film. Yeah? Yeah, that's good. I could easily see Fincher direct this film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very Fincher-style film. The yeah, the use of lighting here is great, and there's lots of shots of them walking through forests and stuff. You're right, the cinematography is good. I must say, I don't see the the love of it though, as a lot of people do. Like, I don't watch this film and come away going, "Damn, that cinematography was great." Like I do with some films. Hey, but do you, when you think of great cinematography, do you think of like big, luscious looking? Yeah, sets I don't and- think of suburban town. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And I'm sure Deacon's did a great job with it, but it's not as enticing and inviting to look at as, you know, your, your big landscapes, your, your revenant These are the more underrated types of cinematography. Sure, if you say so. I did. Is it underrated or nominated for an Oscar? I don't yeah, but you underrated. Is. You say you never look at these types of movies as good cinematography when they are a great cinematography. I feel like you're really generalising what I just said then. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Really just making you sound more like a generic kind of guy. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, but like you said, everyone walking in the bush at night. Like this is when you get a missing child. That's generally what you see happening. Everyone in in a, in a formation mm. going down the line so they don't miss a single piece. And just watching that, like it just this whole movie is just giving you shivers, like because you you just equate to what you would be doing at this point. Mm. It'd be heartbreaking. Yeah, it would be. What about this conversation with Loki talking to Keller and Grace? Yeah, they talk about the polygraph. Keller is so great with Loki. He's so angry with him all the time. Like, Loki is trying to help. Yeah. And Kala, it just does not accept ever that what he, what Loki is trying to do is actually the best things he could be doing. Or it's ever enough. In, because he's in, the dad. In Kala's mind, he has the perpetrator already. Yeah, he's got him. Lock him up. Yeah. But, Kala, but Loki is so, he's calm. He's like, sir, you need to calm down. Yeah. I'm doing my job. Yeah. But like I said, Kala just gets angry and snaps at him. Doesn't shut the fuck up. And I, I can, but I can understand his reaction to this. Like, I understand both reactions from both sides. Like, they're playing what they should be. You got the angry dad, yeah. and you got the cool, calm cop. And the dad's just like yelling that, you know, he gave them the lie detector test. He's like, "Did you give? Did you give Alex the lie detector test?" And it's like, "Would mean anything? You can't give someone who do- a lie detector test who doesn't understand the questions." Yeah, I must say, Hugh Jackman in this film as Keller, he's amazing. He's so good in this film. Yeah, uh, yeah, easily his best performance. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm glad you agree. I, it's not even close. Yeah. I don't rate Hugh Jackman as a great actor. I really struggle to see past it's Hugh Jackman, and I've it's all, maybe because so much of what I've seen of Hugh Jackman is him playing Logan and Wolverine. Yeah, 
But even like the prestige, like people- He's fine. He's fine in that. Yeah, people have said, oh, he's really good in it. I don't think he's really good. He's just being Hugh Jackman. Whereas in this, he is believable as someone else. When you don't think of him as Logan, I think prestige, I think greatest showman as well. And then I think of Australia. And it's just like, they're just standard roles for him. Mm. Also, I think of Kate and Leopold. That's what I, I think of- I haven't of, seen it. But I, me neither, but that's what I think of Hugh Jackman. If I'm not thinking of Logan, those are the films. Like Kate Hudson? Um, Meg Ryan? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But seeing him in this film, like, yeah, this is without a doubt his greatest performance in a film. Yeah, I'm so glad you're on board with that. Absolutely. He's intimidating in this. Oh, yeah. He's very angry. And he, Hugh Jackman does angry very well. What was this, 2013? This was about the time of The Wolverine, when he was almost at his most buffest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you never really see him. Uh, well, he's all padded up with his Yeah, you yeah, don't see the, the shirt off in, in this yeah. film, do you? It's like- why does that suburban dad look like a superhero? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> what about this whole part where Loki's going out and investigating all these different sex offenders around the place and he goes to the uh, the father's house, the priest? This was weird for me. This, I was, I mean, I do like how it connects back and I think it's worth having. Mm. But in the moment, I was like, like, obviously you, you watch this and you're like, okay, this has got to connect somehow, but it feels jarringly out of place. When you see the the necklace on the dead body with like the, the maze yeah. that's on there, and that is part of the poster as well. Westworld did it better, yeah. Yeah, okay. Westworld did it better. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. But when they don't really pay much attention to the necklace at this point, but I remember it from the poster, and I, I wasn't sure how much of a factor it played in the film itself. I don't think it's a good poster either, by the way. It's just them two, isn't it? Yeah, on a dark blue like background. It's- yeah, could have done a bit better with that. They could have used the maze a bit more, incorporating someone missing in the maze Ooh. and people trying to find the people. I've just had an apostrophe. You an apostrophe? Do you mean an epiphany? You idiot! Lightning. Did you struck have an, my brain? Do you have an apostrophe? <laughs> it's from Hook. <laughs> I think you mean an epiphany. Lightning All struck right. my brain. <laughs> Great pickup from you, Hendo. <laughs> You should design posters. Boom. Might get my hundred grand. You'll every get your hundred grand. <laughs> hey, I'll take that job. Design some posters. That'd be a cool job. That would be. Yeah, so these mazes, I didn't know how they played into the film and whether or not it was part of the initial case, like the, the final re- revelation. Like mm. this is how the, the case gets solved by these mazes. So it was interesting to see where the maze theme actually went in this film. Also, between this film and Zodiac, what is it with Jake Gyllenhaal and going down into spooky basements and being wary of what's going on down there? I don't know why I do these references to you when you have no idea no, no, what I'm no, talking I, about. I remember. I remember. Do he's, you? he's in the basement of the big bald guy's house, I think, maybe. It was a library. Yeah, it was fine. I might just need to stop doing these references that you'll never get. Just do it for the listeners, Hendo. They get them. All right. I'll do it exactly for the listeners and I'll watch your look of what on your face. And we'll probably get a sure from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Love that bit. But here it all goes a bit pear-shaped. When yeah, you- because, I mean, this is the sort of thing where, right, you got Alex and Kala. They meet up outside this police station and Alex says to me, says to him, They didn't cry until I left him. Yeah, why? 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 But it it's his IQ. He doesn't know what he's saying properly. But that just that's it. That that one sentence just sends Keller off. That is fair enough. Yeah, because he knows he's seen them. Yes, and that's all he needs. Yes, I like. I agree. Like that is all you need. And because no one else heard, 
And oh, it's great when he goes and speaks to uh, what's his name? It's Holly, Holly about it, and she's just like, "Nah, I didn't hear anything." And now in hindsight, it's like, "Well, fucking, of course you're gonna say that, aren't you?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's also like with Alex because he's innocent in all this. It just makes him seem obviously more guilty because he has been a part of it, but he doesn't know why or what it's about. Yeah, but again, we get this cool scene between Loki and Keller. And like Keller goes to Loki, he's like, right, I've got the, you know, the the smoking gun. This is what happened. He said this to it's to me. Yeah, he's definitely he's done it. Go and and Loki, I love this line as well. I will talk to him. No, don't okay? talk to Dover. Arrest him. Yeah, I just think as we said before, Hugh Jackman so good in this and so good angry. But this next scene where he's sitting out the front of Alex's house and Alex walks out, such fucking choking oh, the dog. Yeah. Oh. Are you fucking serious? Uh, Could you be any more of a silly... Silly. A silly. A silly killer. A silly killer. <laughs> Could you be any more of a silly killer? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, but that, that puts us in... And then he starts singing the song that the girls were singing, like Jingle Bells, know, Batman Smells. He doesn't know any better. He's heard them sing it because they're at the house. It's good, though, because it, it's not like Hugh Jackman is coming from like a place without any merit. Like, you can understand, oh, no. like, okay. You thought it was him the whole time. It's not just one point. It's just like, bang, 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 bang. Yeah, fucking grab him. He's got him. That man, that choking the dog thing. It's <laughs> how, can, how, can, how can you not think it's him after that? Mm. And then hear the song. Yeah, because he knows he knows the girls. He's obviously spoken to them. And he hurts animals. Red flags. But it's here where we get the big reveal. He's got Franklin in the car with him. He's like, did you bring a change of clothes? And it's like, oh, God, what's he doing? And then he takes Franklin, obviously played by Terrence Howard, to see what he's done. Yeah. He's got this guy chained up. And, yeah, Keller is, like, he's stern in his beliefs here. Like, I, I love the quote as well. He's not a person anymore. No, he stopped being a person when he took our daughters. Like, Actually, he's just, he's just, he just looks at him like he's nothing now. Yep. Which is fair enough. Yeah. Like, if, you know, the question of is- all the wh- all the evidence he's got- Yeah. From him, like from him yeah, seeing. Of course, you'd do that. Yep. I'm on Hugh Jackman's side. Yes. But I like that they set up this house in like the very first scene of the movie as well, where they mention, oh, they're, they're having money troubles. And it's like, oh, why don't you fix the house up and sell it? It's like, no, nah, it'll cost too much to fix up. And I heard that line at the start. I was like, what the fuck does that matter? And then, yeah, that, this is why he's got this extra, you know, decrepit house. Well, this was his old house, wasn't it? Isn't there a whole story on the side here about his, his dad who was killed? Don't know. Must have missed that. I know there were some points where when you see Loki like investigating on the computer and you see some old articles about Keller's dad was a, an old cop, I think. And I can't remember if he committed suicide or if he, or if he was killed uh, in the line of duty and Keller was – he either saw it or he's, he had something like that. So he's got he's got a haunted past. Okay. Was this like a blink and you'll miss it thing? No, because I think they talked about it as well at some point throughout the film. Hmm. I think it, he might have brought it up when he pretends to be drunk and passed out in the building. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing here? And he, he that was another good scene. That was. So we basically get a bit of uh, Loki doing some investigating around the place, a bit more about this priest and this body down in the, the basement. We also get some points where Keller starts uh, beating Alex here. Yeah, this is some good stuff here. And what I love about this is, like, he's repeatedly punching Alex in the face. Yeah. And then you cut to Keller and he's... He's so tired. He's exacerbated. He's almost defeated already. But you know, this is what he thinks he's done. He's taken his kids. So he's not going to give up. He is relentless regardless of how tired he is. All the threats, the rage coming out of Hugh Jackman at this point. 
He's just a broken man who's so desperate to get his daughter back. And so surprised that Alex hasn't broken. Exactly. He brings out the hammer and he's, he puts yeah. the threat right where's to him. Where's my daughter? Like, yep. screaming. And he starts it's... smashing the basin, smashing it, and you think he's going to implant it in his head and he like with the threat and he puts it in the wall. You can just see the devastating look and the frustration and the rage on his face. Which is why it's my... Excellent! Nice. Thank you. Thank you. I think it is very nice. Do you have anything more to say before I steal your thunder? No, please. Go for it. This is not my excellent. But one thing I did want to bring up is what is so great about Jackman's rage is that it's perfectly juxtaposed with Terrence Howard's horror. Yeah. I love Franklin's reaction in this scene because it's not... He's not on board with Jackman here. Like, obviously, he wants his kid back, but... He just, he is the audience watching this just like, what are you doing? Like, what have you become? Absolutely horrified. And it really does ground it into a more realistic setting where if you are punching someone repeatedly in the face, pulling out a hammer, start smashing walls, that's not a small thing. Yeah, where, where's the moral deal. line? Where's the moral line come? Yeah, and I think Terrence Howard does such a great job in this movie to really show and exaggerate how extreme and the levels that Keller will go to here. Yeah. I just think I think Howard was so good in this scene. Yeah, but here's where we get the secondary suspect, the side, the side plot that's going on here, where they have the candlelight uh, memorial service, I guess, for the kids. And Loki's searching around and he spots a rather creepy or weird looking weird acting individual. He is a weird looking guy. Stroking he's, the bunny. He's in the, the, the bear? Dark Knight. The bear? You know him from the Dark Knight? Yeah, is he I know he works for the Joker. Yeah. 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 He's, a, he's the unhinged guy who works for the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because he looks ridiculous. He looks like a crazy person. He's playing to his stereotype for sure. Hmm. Playing to his strengths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm auditioning for a man. You mean creepy man. Oh, yes. <laughs> but like he, you know, goes to chase him down. I, I like this part here as well. There's a bit of tension with the, like the nighttime sort of slow movements, like the uh, the dog barking. As well, like when the, he's jumping over the fence, you can see Loki, he's doing... It's like, it feels realistic with his uh, chase and his pursuit here. He's in the middle of the night. There's many mm. trees around. Yeah. He looks he looks nervous as well as he's doing it. Yeah. You don't know what you're chasing. Yeah. You don't know where he is now. And and sure enough, like he's on the top of the bloody cubby house, whatever it is, comes down on him. Mm. Score works perfect in the scene as well. I did notice the score in this scene. It was worked really well with the tension. But in the end, he does lose him. Unfortunate. Yeah. That actor is David Dastmalchian. Name fits. <laughs> Yeah, playing Bob Taylor for future reference. If we mention Bob, that's who it is. Creepy guy. But no, now the police and uh, so Loki and his captain realise that they actually can't find Alex anywhere. Yep. And Loki, I love the the dynamic as well between Loki and his boss, basically. He gives it to him all the time. Oh, yeah. He's like, you told me you were watching him. Like, if you weren't going to watch him, that's fine. Tell me so I can watch him. <laughs> He's good. He's really good. Like, he, he, this is where his dedication is really showing now. Like, he could have been just this generic cop doing his part to solve this murder. But now you can see, like, he really cares about this case and he wants to get this done. Yeah. But the plot keeps moving here. We get Keller's wife. Grace? Did you say her name was Grace? I did say her name was Grace. Kelly's wife, Grace, uh, finds out about it, doesn't she? No, Viola Davis finds out about it because- Oh, sorry, yeah. Viola Davis. Yeah, because uh, Franklin tells her. Can't help himself. 
And she goes to see Alex and I, I love how they hide his face behind the basin for like maximum effect when it gets that reveal. Mm. And she tries to do the different tactics. She uses some sympathy here. You know, unties him. To, we, we care for you. Why do that? He escaped. He tries to escape. He tries to go, jump out the window. Mm. Yeah. Oops. Yep, definitely like, oops. And even uh, Keller's like, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, why what, would you do that? What do you think he was going to do? Yeah. Like, he's probably going to attack her. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Very odd. But his beat up face looks pretty bloody. Yeah. You can see the yeah, the, the work they've done the on The work, it. yeah. <laughs> Keller put in some... Uh, Hard hours. But they make uh, this boarded up shower, new yeah, torture this device. this is where it gets real creepy. And kind of unlucky for Paul Dano because he's, you know, you see him sort of whimper a few times, but he's just, you, you don't see him again. What do you think is his, uh, I guess, his reasoning behind the, what he's saying? Like, do you think he is, he's not saying it because he actually doesn't know or he can't say it? Like, he's at the house. He's seen them. He never says to him, they are at my house. Like I played with them. Do you think he is intentionally still holding off on saying it, or he just like is he 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 just can't? Yeah, he just can't say it. I think that's what it is. I don't think he knows what he's being asked to not tell. Yeah, he's just saying random. Like when he said that to Keller at the police station, it was just something random that he was saying. It just so happened that that's the thing he needs to say to get Keller to go on this uh, this rampage. But yeah, boarding up this uh, shower, great acting once again from Jackman and from Terrence Howard. Just that. Look when when Terrence Howard's like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna open this up. He's like, you you want to open yeah. up? You take a look at that picture, yeah. And you like, can see think, the pain on his face. Yep, think of joy. Yeah, you know? and he he knows that this is kind of wrong, but he he also he's also in that boat with color. He wants to find his daughter. He's also like, what if he's right? Yeah, exactly. What I if, lo- I, what I if love this how- is what if this is a moment where he'll break? You know, and yeah. what if if I open this door, we lose that moment and we lose our kids forever? Yeah, I love how there was two kids taken here not just like yeah. Jackman's kid and that's it because then you get the conflicting people here the one who is so hell-bent on this and the one who is in such that grey area of what to do what's right and what's wrong mm. oh now we get this stuff inside the Keller house with Grace where you get Bob of course he starts going inside the houses yeah because he's a creeper bloke who likes to take their clothes yeah it's very odd but it all works out. It lucky wor- for the auntie obviously you got this awesome bloody yeah, scapegoat for their crimes. Yeah, from what from my memory of this, this side thing with Bob had nothing to do with Holly, did it, in the end? Was there any tie-in with Alex and Bob and Bob and and Holly that I missed? Or was this just some creeper bloke who was going around town and taking kids' clothes and their toys? Uh, no, there had to be there had to be a tie-in. There had to be because of the the maze. I think this, the maze has nothing to do with Holly and and taking the kids. Oh, I feel like the- I feel like the, the secondary thing here is about this whole ring of sex offenders because this goes back to the dead body at the, with the priest's house mm. and this ties in with this Bob character. I don't think there's anything to do with Bob and Alex here or Alex and Holly and Holly and Bob. Yeah, I don't know. I like how there's this Smoke and Mirrors extra subplot though. So you're not just completely focused because seeing this stuff that there's this Bob guy doing this, it makes you start to think that Alex is innocent. It gives you that yes. doubt. Yes, yeah. yes. Now we see Loki following Keller around and we get this great scene where he, he, we see Keller stop near his other house where he's going to go and see Alex. But then you get this truck behind him and it's just yeah. beeping. Like, wouldn't you drive if you're Loki? Like, just drive away. Like, it's not like 
um, Cal is walking towards you. He's walking away from you. You can drive, but he just sits there, gets beeped at, and then it, it immediately figures out what's it's going a bit on. Where Hugh Jackman like goes into the store, gets a grog, and then goes to Loki's car. That that conversation of, between them in the car was great. Really good, yeah. Especially when he's like, "Why were you going that way?" He's like, I was just going for a walk. He's quick on his quick on his feet with the answers there. Oh yeah, he's. he's I mean, helps having a script, but. <laughs> I think I think you know maybe I just wanted to drink and didn't want my wife to know like all that makes sense. Yeah, it does. But he still has he's he's still suspicious because this Alex guy is is missing and Keller was the one saying you need to go get him because he's guilty. And yeah, you can understand him so much more here as well. Like if you didn't already, but he's just like my daughter is somewhere out there wondering why I'm not there to save her. Like not you. She's not wondering why you're not there. Me. It's and, like, and it's Jackman's oh, performance. It is performance. Oh, it's so it's, good. It's amazing. Yeah, nah, I got, yeah. I'm so glad you're on board with Jackman's best and like easily best. Yeah. I thought you might no- throw some Logan shade. No, in there no, somewhere. no, no way. Yeah, good. And even the shot of Keller laying down in his bed and, and imagining that his daughter's back. <sighs> Gut wrenching, heartbreaking. Mm. And even him saying, like, sorry if I'm not home, having a good night's sleep. Like, it really does make you think about. How do you get on with life yeah. at that point? Like, how do you go home and actually go to sleep? And in it's bed? The, it's the not knowing as well that you. It's not like you know she's been in an accident and she's dead, and yeah. that's that's it. You can't change anything. But this thing where what if my going out at night and doing this or me torturing can actually do something like. If you would, you you would the feel the ability to help, like, oh, yeah, how could you go home and sleep for you eight hours? You would feel selfish. You yeah, would feel exactly, selfish. Exactly, exactly. So, man, it'd be tough. The the missing child. Yeah. But then we get to Keller putting the hot tap on Alex and just the the single tears. Oh, that tear. And, he, you know, what does he say? Why are you making me do this? It's like even that. Like, Jackman puts on some awesome rage in this film, but even just these subtle little mm. Scenes here where he is. He falls to his knees. Yep, it's fantastic. Like he's praying. Like this is a religious man. We opened with this character praying the Lord's Prayer, Hendo. Yeah, which I found out was that today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, even this. There's so many tense scenes. Like even this scene where. Loki goes inside the house yeah. and Kala knows he's there. Oh, quick on his like, feet, pretends he's, yeah, pretends pretends he's, he's drunk. drunk. And yeah. then they do a tour of the house. It's like he's so close. So close. But it, but Alex isn't making any noise. What do you make of that? Do you think he's just scared? He doesn't know, he doesn't know what's going on. That's a good point. Like, you know, like he's had Franklin come with him. He's had Franklin's wife come with him. Like people that... Is uh, you know that Kala is bringing to the house in his eyes are still torturing him. That's that's true. They're not helping him, so you just shut up and not say anything. I guess if you've got that you know mentality. Yeah, but he gets the plates of uh, Creeper Bob, so he you know gets out of the house and goes down to that house, and all the maze is on the wall. Kids clothes. <laughs> Do you have kids? <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, once he basically arrests him and goes the around snakes, the house. The snakes? The snakes? I thought that was a bit funny when he opens the first one. Snakes. Oh, God. All right, next one. Snake. Oh, God. And he does it like every single time until he finally finds that book. I mean, what if it's a body in there? Exactly. You need to keep- Of course you're going to open yeah. them. It's like, like two snakes. Ah, uh, the rest are all snakes. But this is it. Like, he's got he's got the, the kids' clothes and this, he shows them to Keller and his wife and this is- Oh, this has to have a time because he opens the case and he sees the book in it that says, if you finish the mazes, you can go home. Mm. Don't they have that book later on? There's a very good chance, Hendo. Yeah, but like you said, identifying the clothing and finding the blood on the sock with the, what is it, a bear or a bunny on the side of it. Mm. And Bob confesses to the murder. Why? I don't know. Was he talking about some other kid? I I think he wants to be... I think the whole thing is he wants to be like this this serial killer. But he's he's not. That's why he fakes it. He sort of pretends to be. Yeah. 
But when when Jackman sees that sock and you see like the bottom lip quiver, like he just realizes and he just breaks down. And what he says to Loki. You wasted time. You wasted time following me. You let this happen. Bit rough. Oh, I, like Loki has I always tried to help, and I, but in all fairness, Loki understands what he's saying because he's a grieving dad right now. He needs to vent his frustration. Yeah, he needs to put the blame on someone. But uh, the interrogation with Creeper Bob here, Loki gets a bit physical, which uh, oh. doesn't work out the best. That sucks. I feel bad for Loki here. Honestly, it's like one one. He would get crucified yeah, for this. One small, tiny little error. Didn't see this coming. Shocker. <laughs> why am I, why am I yeah, surprised? But like, can you remember, you know, like, go back to when you first watched a movie or was this like a, whoa. Oh, to be fair, when I watched it again this time, I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so quick. Yeah. Like, there's a scuffle and you don't, there's no close-up shot of him grabbing the gun. It's just, he's got it and he's dead. Yep. It's like, fuck, all right. But there's another scene here where Keller is trying, you know, trying to get the confession out of Alex and Alex, he mentions the maze. You've got to get out of the maze. Mm. I know we mentioned earlier that, was there any connection between these two? Definitely obviously, is. obviously there is because Definitely there's is. this not so subtle drop about a maze like here, yep. clearly. And also Holly mentions about how her husband had snakes. Yes. So, okay, they, these things are definitely tied together. Makes the film a better film, and It does. <laughs> <laughs> Well-rounded, connected film. Mm. Much like these round mazes that they have in this film. And Keller says he dreams, he says this to Holly, he dreams about being trapped in a maze. That's a, that's a bit odd. Hey, after all this, uh, is he the killer? Mm. After all this talk today, I'm curious if you're going to end up uh, end up the, end up having this film as an amazing film. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it took me a couple of seconds to get that one. Wow, I didn't even get that ridiculous. Part. God damn it! Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you say you say it took you a couple of seconds. It really took you a couple of minutes. Don't lie, Hendo. Power of editing, and you can see Loki's frustration here for sure when he's he's studying this maze that this Bob guy was was. Drawing when he killed himself because he, he, he's he's definitely down on himself. Yeah, and he starts he starts like trashing his desk at work as well. A- even the boss when he comes out and he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." He's like, "Tell it to the fucking family." Like he's pissed off at him too. It's like he just fucked it all up. Yeah, but he sees the the priest from earlier. The basement was you know from the basement. He sees this guy was wearing the maze necklace, yes. and it all it starts to come together for him. And yeah, he, he sort of learns that Bob was imitating the invisible man. He goes the through his notes. The clothes had tags on them. The blood on the clothes was pig's blood. Yeah. I love I love the callback to when he goes to Keller's house when Bob runs through the house and he just quickly writes down through the window. Yeah. That one little note, he backs over all his notes at his desk and he sees that note, goes to the house, and sure enough, there's the other the sock the on the ground. sock, yeah. Clearly saying this Bob guy did not kill the kid. He didn't even. He wasn't even with the kid. He went in and got got close. This bit threw me as well that one of the kids comes out. Joy, got away. Joy got away. I was like, what? Like, surely this blows open the whole case. And then we get this weird bit where she's like terrified of Keller at the hospital. Yeah, she mentioned that he was there. I don't because, get that. It, it was because he was there. Didn't he go to see Holly at one point to talk? She must have heard his voice. Why wouldn't she scream and stuff? No, the we have like visions of Mouth him there, don't we? Taped up. I don't know. She's def- there's but definitely. Why would she be afraid? I, it, I I think this is an odd. Like, why would she be afraid? She's been kidnapped for the last couple of weeks. She's probably scared well, out of her mind. Yeah. She hears the dad's voice. What's she going to think? Is this a, a lame attempt to try and get the audience to think maybe Kala's? No, we know Kala's not in on it. <laughs> I guess it's more just to have Loki 
have more of a reason to go after Keller. Because as soon as this happens, he realizes that she was, they were at the Holly's house. Yeah. And they flash, we see uh, Joy being told, finish all the mazes and you can go home. So, like, yeah, yeah when yeah. they're kidnapped, they're, this is their entertainment. Like, here, do these mazes. My, my big thing is why, I know Keller is, he's, you know, very hands on. He wants to get the job done. Once he realizes that, that the kids were at uh, Holly's house, why doesn't he say something to someone? Why does he have to go by himself? Well, he doesn't see Holly as any sort of threat, and he still has no idea that- It doesn't matter. Like, I don't understand why he doesn't- When Loki asks him to stop, he goes, I've just I've just found out that I'm pretty sure they're at this place. Hmm. Follow me. Because it certainly looks like he's trying to evade them once they start chasing him. I mean, they haven't been there for him. you got to remember how he sees these people in this moment. But having someone there is better than doing it yourself. Yeah, but he wants to do it his way. He wants to pull a gun on her and get some answers out of her that way. Because he knows that if, right, if she gets arrested and she says nothing- You have a very, 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 very solid point there. Like, they arrested Alex and they got nothing. exactly. So, he's going to do it his way. Very good. Uh, But when he goes there and we get this huge reveal that the auntie's in on it, this is easily my- Excellent! Man, did I not see this coming. (laughs) To be fair, I think that this might have been my excellent scene- the first time I watched the two when I when I, this was the reveal. It, this it makes sense. It's not gimmicky. It fits the whole film, and it's it's a brilliant twist. You don't see it coming. I loved it, and she's so menacing as well. Like Melissa Leo, is so great as this, you know, turn on a dime killer now. Yeah, where she's just making him drink this liquid. She's not taking any of his crap. He's not this big strong man anymore. She's got the power. It's such a great dynamic between them. What like? And you talk about Keller being the big tough guy. Why does he, if he suspects that she's the one with the kids, why does he have his back to her when he starts to imply that she's the one that took the kids? If she's the one who's got the kids, surely she's got some some sort of gun or something ready to go. Don't take your eyes off of her. Yeah, he's just so confident though. Like he's in himself. Like he doesn't think that someone like this, this old woman will be able to overpower him. I know she has a gun, but... I mean, this is your kid. You want to find her immediately. Don't you just walk in and drop her to the ground immediately? Yeah. But we learn that it's all about this religious fanatic reasons, fanatical reasons. You know, making children disappear is a war we rage on God. What? What? We do it because people have lost faith in God. So does this make people more godly? Sounds a little kooky. Why are you raging a war on God if you want people to remember God? I don't know. It was a bit bit convoluted. But- Religion is. Absolutely. But she's got the upper hand here, for sure, with the gun. Finds out the uh, underground lair under the car as well. She's really taunting him and baiting him as well. You know, your daughter was down here too. And if you don't if you don't go down there, I'm gonna make you watch I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll kill she, you right she here. Would, she says she would love for him to still be alive when she dumps Anna's body down there. After he gets down there. Oh. Yeah. Very rough. Even when she says like, drink the rest of that now, I'll shoot you and get your daughter to clean up the brains off the floor. Yeah. It's like, God damn, she's Brutal. taking that turn really quickly here. In between all this, we found like Loki has found Alex as well in the house. Yep. So there's that. And we learn that Anna's alive, which is huge. She's in the house. It's obviously good that we find out that Loki has found Alex because that's that's what gets him to Holly's house. Yeah. To tell him, hey, Alex is alive. And sure enough, when he gets in there and Yeah, like I've just I've just reading over my notes again, because you know, behind the scenes, it has been a couple of weeks since we've actually watched this film. And I've I've said, yeah, Loki sees this maze necklace, and Holly's husband is actually the priest victim that Loki finds in the basement. I mean, it ties everything together. It's perfect. There you go. 
Damn, that's good. And I'm assuming that Bob was one of the the, the kids that, that they adopted because he's got all the snakes. Yeah. Is it their actual son? Probably not. No, it wouldn't be the actual son. It'd be, and you know, we learn he's trying to complete the mazes and stuff, and that's that's what um, Holly and her husband were getting the kids to do: complete the mazes. So. It all ties in very so that, nicely. That book he had must have been his own book. Hmm. But when Loki shows up, she she kind of knows the jig is up, and she uh she in, she injects Anna. Yeah, because because the whole reason of this is because she wants to kill the kids. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a, a ransom thing, and everyone gets shot here. Yep, yep. Loki luckily survives this. She does not. She says on her what's her final words? Make sure they cremate me. I don't want to be buried in a fucking box. Pretty sure they're going to throw her in a fucking ditch. Yeah, and now we get Loki talking to Grace, and we learn that yeah, Keller's gone missing. He's gone on the run. Oh, don't sidestep the Ooh. the chase to the hospital and how his blood's covering his face and he can't see what's I going on. I wasn't a fan of that. Really? Yeah, I d- it didn't bite. If if his vision was as impaired as we were seeing it, he's not going to get to the hospital. He's but he not. did. He did. And then all of a sudden, he's at the hospital. And I was like- The power of Loki. Nah, I don't think so. I bought it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I thought that was- It, it was too long as well, but- could have done that better. But, yeah, so we get... I love this discussion between Loki and Grace because he's saying, like, yeah, he's gone on the wrong, but when we find him, he'll probably go to jail. It's like, what he's done is wrong. Yes. For yeah, torturing I, Alex, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But what, what did you think... Before you got to this final scene, what did you what did you expect was going to happen? What did you think? Did you think he was going to get found? Where where was your mind at this point? Jeez, I, I honestly don't know. I probably expected Loki to find him somehow because you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect... You wouldn't like they have to like couldn't just leave that thread hanging. Like you need to know what happens to Keller. I mean, it's very, very subtle. This tiny little sound of a whistle. He's been down there for a, what was it? A couple of days. Yeah, but you hear it and you see Loki react to it. Very little. What was that? No, and but I love that's that's where they end it. I I must say the 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 song that's playing here is a really good song. Is it done by someone you know? It's Radiohead. Yeah, I thought so. It's Codex. Originally, from the King of Limbs. Originally, the fi- the, the actual song. ending was supposed to be that they never found Hugh Jackman. He was just going to die, like he was going to be just be a missing person. But they thought it was uh, that was too bleak. Mm. In this film, they thought that was too bleak. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is the end of Prisoners. Any last words? All right, Dean. We'll start off with you. What's your final thoughts on Prisoners? Wow, what a movie! I was so happy with this movie. In my mind, this was a very good film, but I wasn't passionate about it. Like. So many people are about this film. Mm-hmm. I never felt the length of this film. We talk about it being long. I had no issue with that whatsoever. The plot points, uh, they're also unexpected and they continually are hitting you. So you always feel like the movie's moving in a very you know, progressive and fast enough way. Like just because it's long doesn't mean it's slow. And this movie is not slow. As we've said, easily Hugh Jackman's best performance. Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. <laughs> he's solid too. Like he really does hold his own. He's, he's really good in this. As is the supporting cast, like Melissa Leo, Dano, Howard. They're all really, really good. The plot, it's gripping. It really asks the audience to ask, you know, what would you do? Which is what I love about this film. It gets you thinking. Are these people inherently bad because they're doing horrific things? Well, no, they're not. But that doesn't make what they're doing any less horrific, does it? No. That it's... Yeah, I don't know. Like, would it be okay if Alex was guilty and did know about it? Is it okay now that we know he was innocent because that led to finding Anna? Like, you sort of just start thinking about, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And when you start actually after a movie asking these questions about yourself, you know that the movie's actually done a really good job of conveying a message to its audience. So, very, very strong film for me. Very clever. Loved all the twists. 
four and a half stars. Okay. What about you, Hendo? So Prisoners is is a bleak, dark, and harrowing movie that I bloody love. Denis Villeneuve has constructed a fantastic crime mystery that not only keeps you on the edge of your seat with like every piece of information that slowly drips in, but it gives you some sensational characters with three-dimensional performances, in particular from our two leads, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Jackman in particular is just... He is just a tour de force throughout this entire duration as he does things that, as a father myself, you question if you would actually do what he does, like if if that's right or wrong. The cinematography is great as well, really capturing the horrid, somewhat rundown nature of this town, which translates to the general tone of the film. Like I said, as a father of two daughters, this topic the film has gone for really puts me in that unsettled sense from the get-go, and it never let up through the whole film. Everything just feels so believable, yet unbelievable at the same time. This is my second time watching it. I dug it then. I dug it now. For me, this is one of Villano's best films. Me too. Four and a half out of five. Very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where's this going to sit on your rankings? All right. Four and a half star film. Let's kick it off with... Gee, I don't have a lot of four and a half star films on this list. I really tend to go like four or five. There's no middle ground. Gee, it's very rare because I feel like, especially this year, I've given a lot of films four and a half. All right, let's start at the lowest of my four and a half star films, Your Name. Gee, this is tough already. <laughs> Ooh. Look at this. We're, at, we're straight out of the 50 films and it's the first time and it's, it's, hard, it's hard already. Your Name. Yeah, okay. Prisoners is better than this. The reason I say that is because I'm, I'm very happy with saying Prisoners is better than Stand By Me. But it's not better than Toy Story. So that's where it's going to sit for me, which actually makes it crack the top 20. So it is number 20 for me. Oh, very good. What about you, mate? All right, let's start off at the bottom of my four and a half stars at number 29 for another Hugh Jackman film, Logan. And I'm going to burn through these pretty quickly here. It's better than Logan. It's a Wonderful Life. Casino. Stand By Me. Alien. The Shining. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And then it gets to Donnie Darko, another Jake Gyllenhaal film. And I think this is better than Donnie Darko. It gets to Aliens. This is better than Aliens as well. We get up to our number 20, which is Groundhog Day. And I think that's where it's going to stop. So I'm going to put Prisoners as my new number 21 out of 51 now. Very good. All right, Dean, I think it's time to take a little trip down memory lane. Now, when I was looking back on this, we also had a week off at this time last year during Christmas. Mm-hmm. Once we came back, we did our Pod v Pod 12 with Dave from Super Movie Bros. That was a good old riot with Dave. <laughs> We also did a top five on that episode, which was our most anticipated films for this year. And it was funny to go back and look at your top five. Can, do you reckon you can yeah, name any of them? Yeah, I mean, it would have been Endgame, Star Wars, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do we know about that then? You've nailed your one, two, and three right then. Was Irishman there? There's your fourth. And one more. God, what other Marvel movie came out this year? Don't know. Joker. Oh, Joker. Yeah, but I do remember you saying on it. You were like, I'm not sure if this. I'm not really keen on it right yeah, now. Yeah, I yeah, I do. I do remember thinking that. Yeah. So that was your five anticipated: Joker, Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Skywalker, and Endgame. I mean, Jesus, with the exception of one, that's a yeah, damn four, good four list. out of five. Yeah. <laughs> what was yours? Funny enough, mine was actually pretty bad. I had it, Chapter Two, The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, mine went the total opposite direction. I think, I think, uh, from memory, I also had Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and yep. Endgame after that. Yeah, yeah. But listening to the start, I was like, oh, oh man, I wasn't anticipating <laughs> shit. Jesus. Now, but let's head on down to memory lane and take a listen to some clips from that episode. Who was originally cast to play Lewis Tully, Rick Moranis's character in 
1984's Ghostbusters. I'm so glad I didn't get a Ghostbusters question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking you go back to that 80s era. I'll take a quick punt here and I'll say John Candy. 100% was John Candy. Whoa! Wow. Holy shit. 100% guess. <laughs> Jesus. I, I, I have no clue. Um, let's just say Lincoln Lawyer. Who fucking knows? I don't know. We know. Because <laughs> you have the answer in front of you, you cockmonger. Uh, it was... <laughs> But I was very surprised you hadn't seen. I'm going to go with Philadelphia. Yeah, I knew it was coming. Yeah. We, we did mention that that's I mean, it's, the it's one. It's a hole in your, your film watching. Yes. Library. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. <laughs> a tie's like sucking okay. your own dick, but you know, I'll take it. <laughs> you said it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I never got there. <laughs> uh, we all tried. We all tried. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I watched this film in two parts. It got to a point where it was late at night. and Classic Dean. It was like it was about to happen, and I just noped the fuck out of it. I was like, I can't, I'm not going to bed right now having just watched all this. You'll never get the last one. Safety not guaranteed. How the fuck did you get that? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, wow. you, you literally looking these up as I'm going. No way. No nah, fucking nah, way. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, listen, I, listen up. I just, listen up. I, 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 I came on to what I thought was an honest <laughs> show and I, I now know it's a rube. <laughs> I was waiting for you to see this, you big DC nut. <laughs> yes, I did nut all over this. <laughs> uh, well, see how you go with this one. The first one for you is Tim Allen. Ugh. Well, I'm going to just start off and say Toy Story's on there. Correct. All right. The Santa Claus. Correct. Uh, Galaxy Quest. Correct. Oh, Doing very well. Going for the fourth here. For the record, Dave, no one's ever got all four. I, I'm just going to say Home Improvement because it, it's it's the thing that put him on the map. So, Clean sweep, my friend. You oh, got it. Nailed it. Yes. Okay, my number eight film is another Netflix original film here, Bird Box. And judging by the look on your face, I think you forgot to put it in your list. Well, usual fashion with <laughs> me. I did this act- is the third time now in, in like two I'm months. I'm sorry, Hedo, okay? I am sorry. Hey, listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there, and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and of course, Podbean. We're very thankful to Podbean for taking on our podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's a great hosting site with a great app to go with it. Yeah, what I like about Podbean's app is you can actually comment on the episode you're listening to and it goes straight to us and we can reply back immediately. Amazing! And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do so over on Twitter. Hendo controls our main handle at the movie journey, and I am at Dean's 250 Journey. You can also check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the movie journey, our letterbox pages where we keep our film diaries up to date. I am at letterboxd.com slash Dino underscore J88. Really rolls off the tongue. And you can find Hendo at letterbox.com slash 
Hendo. And we also have a new Facebook discussion group. Yeah, a little listener community going on over there. Yeah, head on over, join up. We'd love for you to be a part of the discussion. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Or if you're really loving the show and want more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, we've got over 70 episodes over there, including such classic film series like the Die Hard series, X-Men series, Mission Impossible series, as well as some notable film directors. Directors such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's right. There's also tons of benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put out on the regular. Yeah, exactly. You can even shape the show the way you want to by telling us what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate? Well, we just released our top 50 films of the decade. We put that ahead of our breakdown of the autopsy of Jane Doe because we wanted to get this top 50 out just at the crack of our New Year's Eve, I reckon. The crack of New Year's Eve, yeah. yeah. So for all you listeners with nothing to do, New Year's yeah. Eve. Sell it, count down the ball. Plug in. <laughs> Listen to, to Daniel and Dean. <laughs> what a way to bring in the new year. Hopefully you're not doing that. But if you are, you have nothing but our love. But in saying that, we're going to start a new little film series coming up, considering that Bad Boys 3 is coming out in a couple of weeks. And you know what's fun? Bad Boys 1 and 2. You're half right. In my mind, I have two better than one. Oh, wow. I'm going to love having these conversations with you because, yes, for the next two weeks, we have got our two breakdowns on Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. This is going to be... A little different to what we're used to at the moment. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to two of our newest patrons, Alice FCB and Glyn Davies. Thank you so much for jumping on board. We, we hope you love the extra content and we're happy to have you with us. Yeah, we're glad you've joined up with the patron team here. We've got a couple of new fresh ideas coming up for Patreon this upcoming year. We'll, we'll keep you in tune with that and hopefully we can have some more fun over there. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, mate, let's get to... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. And we've only got a couple of reviews this week for Prisoners. Only one over on Twitter from The Cinema Guys. This is a movie I could never pull myself to watch. It's pretty easy to uh, move around some words there. Could never watch while pulling myself. I'm not even going to make any kind of joke about that by this film. Thank you very much. Mm. As a father of two, who were only one and two at the time, the trailers made it too real and were very hard to watch, so I skipped the film. Villeneuve is a fantastic director, and I'm sure it's a great film. So this is a review about the thought of the film. This is going to be a first. Like This is someone reviewing a film they haven't watched. (laughs) All right, looking over on our Patreon page. Let's go straight to the source. It was Chris Beardsell's choice. Let's see what he has to say about it. One of a few films I've seen twice in the same day at the theatre. God, I've never done that. I've done two in the same day, never twice at the theatre. I had no idea who Denis Villeneuve was going into this, and Prisoners absolutely floored me. Jake Gyllenhaal is always reliable, but Hugh Jackman is the powerhouse of this film. Yes, he is. And he gives a performance of his career here. You can feel the Fincher influence all over this film. What? Oh, called it. Look at that. Boom. On point, Chris. And it is beautifully shot by Roger Deakins, and I was glad to see he got an Oscar nom for it. My excellent is when Kaladova is threatening Alex Jones yes. with a hammer. 
The sheer intensity coming off Jackman is incredible. One of my favourite films of the decade and one of my go-to recommendations for when someone asks for a good film to watch. So Chris was a little sceptical of our opinions because uh, a couple of his recent patron requested reviews, we've uh, kind of slammed the film, so he's a bit wary of what we were going to say coming into this film. But yeah, on point with Chris here. Yeah, no, you've done well. This time, Chris. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, guys, for putting in some reviews there. But, of course, we've got... Prisoners was the best film of 2013 and one of the best of the entire last decade. An all-star cast meet with the brilliant direction from Denis Villeneuve and an equally brilliant screenplay. We don't get too many great murder mystery thrillers anymore, so when one comes around that's as good as this, it's something special. Because the film hits so well with its three main components, acting, direction and script, the film feels very balanced and no one aspect of it stands out from the rest. Jackman and Gyllenhaal are equally great in lead roles. Hot take. Mm. And Paul Dano gives an excellent supporting performance that works well in tandem. The direction pulls you in deeper with the story and there are many moments that will pull you on the edge of your seat. The mystery itself is complex. <laughs> why, why doesn't he get a, uh, uh, you know, a comment there about the pull? About being pulled on the edge of your seat. That's not appropriate for this film, Hendo. Come on. Because you know he just says put you on the edge of your seat. You're just that's subconsciously you're you're saying pull you. Oh wow. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I can't believe I did that. The mystery itself is complex and well thought out and it's cool to see all the clues unfold on repeat viewings. Highly realistic, full of emotional and captivating cinema. It's what you want from all movies in general. I'd call Prisoners a modern masterpiece. Four and a half stars. Fantastic. Great review, Shane. Thanks, Shane. All right, mate, let's get to... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, who is your biggest breakout director of the decade? And let's take a look at some responses. First one here from Freya. Oz Perkins. Who? I don't know. Is he an Aussie? You don't have to make that correlation because his name's Oz. And Perkins. What's Perkins? Kieran Perkins, the swimmer? The Australian swimmer, Kieran Perkins. Maybe it's his dad. Maybe. M. Denise on Elm Street. Says Carrie Fukunagua. Can you name a single Carrie Fukunagua thing? No. He did True Detective first season. Okay. There's another movie he did, and I'm pretty sure he's doing the new Bond film. Wow, I didn't realize you were such a huge fan. I'm a bigger fan than you are. Entertain Me Podcast says Ryan Johnson. That's a good pick. Is it? Spoilers for your list, Tendo? Maybe. We shall see. Kevin Jacobson says Barry Jenkins. That's also a good pick. It is. Tie the Christmas Hedgehog Ribs says Todd Phillips. Was he breakout? I, don't, I wouldn't say he's breakout this. I mean, he, this, he, he did. He broke out last he, decade with old school. Road Trip in 2000. Yeah. The Hangover. The Hangover. This is not a breakout director. Just because no. he did Joker. They do love Joker, though. Hendo. That's true. Uh, Jeffrey Kerr says Tom Hooper. Ah, Tom Hooper. Wasn't that the guy who did Cats? Let's go to King's Speech, the Oscar-winning Tom Hooper. And then finish the decade off with Cats. Cats. Yeah. Okay. Darren Lucas says Taika Waititi. That's a good choice. He did a lot of good stuff this uh, this decade, and what we do in the shadows too. Rob Manafield says Mike Flanagan. Now he sounds Aussie. Mike or Flanagan? Flanagan. <laughs> Flanny. <laughs> John Arthur Bell says Bong Joon Ho. Sean Chavel says S. Craig Zala. Colby Mack says Denis Villeneuve. Amy Smith says Damien Chazelle. Hitting it out with three amazing films and becoming the youngest director to win the Best Director Oscar. Recent patron Glenn Davies says Bradley Cooper. Must be a Star is Born fan. Has he directed anything else? No. That was his first directed film. Yes. Hmm. Good call. Low Carb Monster 8 says Jordan Peele, hands down. 
Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of people have a, a Jordan Peele pick there for his first two films. Not for me, though. Hassan Kamara says, I would say Ari Aster. Loved Hereditary and Midsommar. Ari says Ava DuVernay. Can you name an Ava DuVernay Can movie? Can you? Yes, Wonder Woman, 13th. I mean, obviously I can. I was just, I didn't think no, no, you no, could. No, no, I, I Wonder Woman, DC. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. 143 says Taylor Sheridan. Cumberfleck 0306 says Casey Affleck. Mm, that's, a, that's a decent choice. What about over on Facebook, mate? Sam Hurley from the Move Reviews and 20Qs. Now, what do you think he would go for? Mm, I wonder. Taika Waititi is an incredibly close second for me. <laughs> <laughs> but Denis Villeneuve takes first. B Dizzle from We Watched a Thing says, Denis Villeneuve is definitely the answer. He is a master. Lastly on Facebook, Tony Ijeb says, Jordan Peele went from skit comic to brilliant horror thriller director. All right, over on to our Patreon for our lovely, lovely patrons. Julio from The Contrarian says, Everyone I thought of turned out to have debuted last decade, so I'll just say Bo Burnham. Feature-wise, he only has eighth grade under his belt, but that's a hell of a debut. Similarly, I would like to throw in Destin Daniel Cretton's name into the ring, just on the strength of short term 12 alone. But I feel guilty not having watched The Glass Castle yet. As heard, you should. I heard The Glass Castle was shit. I have not heard of The Glass Castle. <laughs> uh, another digital citizen says, Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, I don't think this is a now, breakout director. Come on. Pretty sure he broke out in 1999, <laughs> 98. Come on. Brother Shane says Ariasta. Ben Mulverhill says Damien Chazelle for sure. Ariasta is runner up, and Villeneuve may have had films out before this decade, but this could be seen as his breakout decade. And if so, he's probably top. David Powell says, Tough call. Ari Aster is certainly up there, but with only two films. Taika Waititi did have one film pre-2010, but certainly broke out this decade. Giselle is another new director who is on fire so far. But purely for personal reasons, I'll go with Mike Flanagan, because I just love his work. All right, I'll ask. Who is Mike Flanagan? Oh, I don't, I'm not too sure. I actually got him confused with Mike Nichols in my head then for a reason. For a reason. <laughs> for some for, reason. For what reason? For a specific reason. All right. Mike... Flanagan directed The Haunting of Hill House, Doctor Sleep, Gerald's Game, Ouija, Origin of Evil, Before I Wake, Hush, Oculus. This is a, a horror big time guy. Horror director. Oh, no wonder I haven't heard of him. Heard of him. <laughs> Jay says Taika Waititi amazed us with what we do in the shadows, blew us away with Thor Ragnarok, made us laugh and cry with Jojo Rabbit. The Rough House Podcast says great question. I'd say either Jordan Peele, Taika Waititi, or Ariasta make the biggest impacts. And lastly here from Chris Beardsell, seeing as this is my question, I'm going to cheat a little and pick two directors. You bastard. Denis Villeneuve. (laughs) You love saying that. Every time he stepped up to the plate this decade, he knocked it out of the park. In Sunday, Prisoners, Enemy, tough on first viewing, but gets much better on rewatches. Don't think I'll ever rewatch that. Yeah, me neither. Sicario, Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 are all amazing and I can't wait to see Dune next year. My other breakout director is S. Craig Zala. This guy has made some incredible films in a short space of time with Bone Tomahawk, Brawl in Cell Block 99 and Dragged Across Concrete. His next project has gotten me really excited and he has written a mini-series that will be directed by Park Chan-wook and starring Matthew McConaughey. Inject that shit right into my veins, brother. Couple of good choices there. Some, uh, no, good. Very good. As well as all the other great choices from everyone who put in a response. But Dean, let's get to our top five breakout directors of the decade. Let's do it. All right, mate. We'll kick it off with you. What is your number five? Lynn Ramsey. 
Lim Ramsey, hey? That's a good choice. That is a good choice. Yes, directed. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin and you were never really here. I really like the style, the feel, and honestly, above all else, the direction. I'm really excited for what uh, she's going to do in future. Did you have any honourable mentions, by the way? Yes, I did. You want to say them now or you want to say them now? Why end? would I say them now? If I say them now, then you know they're not on my list. Fair enough then. My number five is the Russo Brothers. Fair enough. I mean, they, what they do, they did Me, You and Dupree in 2006, and then they came back in 2014. That was their next film, Winter Soldier, and then bang, bang, bang. Oh, that's why it's so good. It took them so long to make it. Yeah, they were making that in 2006 prior to Iron Man. They were all over it. <laughs> uh, number four for me, Alex Garland. Ooh, very good choice. Mm, so directed Ex Machina and Annihilation, also wrote 28 Days Later, Sunshine and Dread. So, yeah, again, another director. I'm very excited to see their next film. Fantastic. And my number four, been, his name's been said a lot. It's Ari Aster. Mm. Hereditary and Midsommar. I mean, I, I never thought I'd have a horror guy on my list of best directors or breakout directors of this decade. But he's got it there with those two films. My number three, you've said it. Russo Brothers. For sure. For sure. Well, my number three is another pair of brothers, the Safty Brothers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, good time. Good time. It was a great time. Man, you love good time. And Uncut Gems. I mean, I haven't spoken about it yet, but... That's up there for sure. Those two films, in the span of a couple of years, they are on point. Why do you overrate Good Time so much? Why do you underrate it? <laughs> My number two. We've definitely heard this name. Denis Villeneuve. Very, very good. Didn't make my list. What? Yes. Uh, number six up for me right there. You are kidding. No, I'm not. Because my number two, you've said it already, Alex Garland. Jesus. You know why? Because Denis Villeneuve does not have a five-star film for me. These top two are both five stars, and the th- and three, four, and five have several four and a halves. Sure. My number one, without doubt. Me too. Damien Chazelle. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Whiplash, La La Land. First Man was fine for me. Yeah, that was good. But those two, those first two, my God. Mm, my God, indeed. All right, very good. Honorable mentions? Ari Aster. I, oh, okay. nearly, I nearly put him on at my number five, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for me, probably because of a couple of recent watches, Ryan Johnson for Looper. Last Jedi and Knives Out. Brick? Was that this decade? Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. See, I didn't like Brick. Okay, so thank you for telling me that you've seen it because that was on my list of films to give you. (laughs) I've definitely seen Brick. Okay, cool. Well, then I'll take that off the list. Uh, And Barry Jenkins as well. Uh, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk were really good films for me. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of If If Beale Street Could Talk, but Moonlight's great. All right, and next week's question of the week is coming again from Mr. Chris Beardsell. He's gone with, what is your favourite guilty pleasure film? This, I, I, da- I wonder, I honestly think this could be the one time we have zero crossovers. Oh, I think for sure. Yeah? Unless we both put a certain movie on, which is possible. Do you think there's a film out there that we really enjoy that not a lot of other people do? We both enjoy? Maybe we'll talk about this when we get to this question. Sounds good. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! All right, mate, it's time to find out the results of the final four in our best 2000s film tournament. First match here was a massive blowout. The Dark Knight takes out two towers, 75% to 25%. The second match, though, is the big one. This is the one that we had the discrepancy on. We have Return of the King against Fellowship of the Ring. Now, I had Return of the King making it to the finals, and you had Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, what are those results? We have Return of the King at 50.7%, Fellowship 49.3%. Return of the King wins it. Damn, that is close. Very close. And that means that I have won this tournament, regardless of the final match. Very so I'm good. three points up now. Hold on. So I'll give you a movie next week after the tournament is over. Sure. So the final match is The Dark Knight against Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. The number one seed against the number two seed. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. Yeah. I think it's a, a good final. 
Fair enough. That's the trailer right there. All right, I've got a couple of new trailers I saw. Now, I'm not talking about the trailers here. I'm just giving my general opinion of them. And I do this because, Dean, I know that you don't follow trailers. You don't you don't want to be spoiled on this, and I'm not going to spoil these things for you. But this is more of a, a general heads up for you about upcoming movies that you might be intrigued about that you probably wouldn't know much about until they're right at your feet. And you're like, oh, what's this? Tenet. I'm talking from five to one here, okay? <laughs> I, I heard it, there was a Tenet trailer. There is a Tenet trailer, yes. <laughs> will, will that be making an appearance then? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, my number five I watched this week is called Downhill. It's this new comedy coming out with Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It looked piss poor, to be honest. Really bad. It's a it's a remake of a, I think it's a Swedish film called Force Majeure, which I've heard is really good. It's got, um, who's the big bearded bloke from Game of Thrones? Tormund, Tormund's Bane? Giant Spain. That's the one. Tormund yeah. Giant Spain. Yeah, he's in that film. It's apparently. not Tormund Tormund. Tormund Tormund Tormund. That guy. But yeah, this this trailer looked terrible. The next one I watched at my number four is called Woman in the Window. This looks like some sort of uh, psychological thriller. It's got a stacked cast. Got Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee. The thing is though. It looks like it could be an intriguing film, but it also looks like it could be an absolute turd. So I've put it down here good because- Good cast. A good cast, but it still looks like it just could just flop. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Number three I saw was the new Pixar trailer for Onward. They've got two films coming out this year, one Onward and one called- Upward. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the sequel. <laughs> no, the other one's called Soul, and they've only got a, a teaser trailer for that out. And that kind of looks like, uh, you, know, you know the Pixar short they did Day and Night? Of course. Do you? Not. Okay, well, I'll just move on from Soul then. But Onward seems like a much more of a uh, magical adventure quest. Got the- What kind of quest? About two brothers. They're not like human kind. They, they look a They're little weird. They're not human. No, voiced by uh, Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Okay. Yep. So, I don't know. This They've don't, got they, voices. They do have voices, and they're going to use them in this film. And I don't know. I can see this going either way with Pixar, but they've got such a great track record. How can you not be pumped for a new Pixar film? My number two was a teaser trailer for Respect. Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin. I think that can go quite well. She's got the voice. I'm interested. I'm interested. This is a voice. She was on American Idol, not the voice. Get your, get your pop culture right, would you? I used to watch the voice. Did you? That was a good time. Kira watches The Voice. I hear some songs every once in a while. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. Wow, that yeah. must be a good moment for you. But uh, my number one. What is it, Hendo? I mean, how can it not be Tenet? What's, this- what's Tenet? It's the new Nolan film. No, and- it's it's not just the new Nolan film. It's the new Inception, apparently. It's also the new Memento. Oh, my God. This trailer, it's insane. Uh, this, this is easily my number one film to watch currently right now for 2020. It looks great. I feel like you're already spoiled on this film. How am I spoiled? I have no idea what this movie's about. Wow. All I know is it's got John David Washington in it. It's got Robert Pattinson in it. I saw a little brief cameo of Michael Caine because he's in everybody Nolan film. Saying Leo isn't in this. I didn't see Leo. God damn it. And there's definitely a lot of uh, time. Guy Pearce, though. Lots Pierce of time. Though. This movie's got a lot to do with time again. Time. Yeah. Lots of reversing and forwarding. Christopher and Nolan loves time. He loves it. And this, this looks fantastic. I cannot wait for this film. So, what's next? All right, buddy. It's been a while. But you finally get to choose a film. What are you going to pick? Inception! <laughs> Speaking of Nolan. Yeah! I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Wow. I was like, you know, there, was, uh, there was another movie I was so, I've been so close to picking so many times. And I was like, all right, this time I'm going to pick. Nah, I'm not. I'm going Inception because I really love it and I'm really excited. It's been years since I've seen it. Oh, I just want to watch it again. So, And it's funny because we do this podcast now and... When, uh, you know, like, if you want to watch, if I want to watch a movie that's on the top 250, I don't, right? Yeah. If I wanted to watch 
Fight Club next week. I wouldn't because I know one day we're going to do it and it will be better if I haven't seen it in years. So well, you forget it. This is true. So I want to watch Inception and I want to talk about it. So it's going to be Inception. Awesome. Good stuff, mate. Very solid choice. All right. But that's going to be in three weeks' time because next week we've got our Pod v Pod 32 coming up. And then the week after is our episode 100. Now, on episode 50, we had our first Pod v Pod v Pod v Pod. And we're doing it again, mate. We're going Pod v Pod v Pod v Pod 2. Mm. We've got a couple of guests lined up, a couple of maybe previous winners, maybe coming back to defend some titles. Who knows? All I know is that you're going to be hosting it this time and I'm stepping in the ring. I'm so excited. For you to actually show everyone how dumb you are. I'm finally going to redeem the Movie Journey podcast name after your terrible runner-up finish last time. Uh, no, that was respectable. If you if you got runner-up in the fashion- That's loser talk. In the fashion that I did. I respectfully holding lost. Holding my head up high, I would be proud. Yeah, but- I feel really glad that I lost this game. I got a respectful second- I mean, yeah. it comes right after one. That's that's loser talk, mate. I'll, re- I'll redeem the <laughs> podcast name. Right. I'm going to make sure. Because <laughs> the, problem, the problem with doing questions where you're one of the people that I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of That this, I know everything. That the questions you would get and the questions you would have no chance of getting. <laughs> So, don't you be don't you be rigging this shit. I didn't rig. I didn't rig anything with yours. In the 1974 horror film, <laughs> okay, your your category is black and white tens horror films. <laughs> now that's going to be a lot of good fun coming up. We've got a couple of good episodes coming up, and then after all that, we're going to be doing our top 20 films of 2019 at the end of the month. Since bloody Australians, we we get release dates a little bit later than the old Americans here. Yes, we do. So we like to give ourselves an extra month to catch up on. Some of these films that we feel maybe might sneak into that top 20. So that is our basically our roster for January coming up. So I'm saying that. Thank you very much, everyone, for checking out this episode on Prisoners. And we will see you next week for Pod v Pod 32. Bye.